Hi everyone, this is Corina and Angel. Welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Hi friends, in today's episode we talk to Dan Podiet, an applied anthropologist with more than 15 years experience in ethnographic research and founder of ASA Applied Anthropology Network and Why the World Needs Anthropologists International Symposium. We talked to Dan about his work in the applied anthropology sector, both as a researcher but also as one of the supporters of the community. We talk about the barriers and opportunities of anthropologists accessing the business world and about the tension between applied and academic approaches to doing ethnography. We talk in depth about the various projects, conferences and events he is involved in that try to bridge and promote the value of applied anthropology, such as the People Project, Ethnography 2.0 and why the world needs anthropologists. We hope you enjoy it. Hi, Dan. Hello. Good morning. <laughs> Tell us more about you. How has your career been um, so far with anthropology? When I was in primary school, if I start at that time, uh, I didn't have any idea, first, what anthropology is, and second, that I would ever become an anthropologist. Actually, I wanted to be first an astronomer, and then a bit later, even astrologist, because at that time, I believed in horoscopes and... I had an idea that I can somehow uh, be able to predict the future, but then I was a little bit later at the end of primary school, school more interested in biology, and I was sure I would study biology. Then in the secondary school, the whole uh, idea of me becoming or studying natural sciences uh, vanished, and I wanted to become an actor, <laughs> and later a journalist, which I became eventually. And during that time, I also uh, started to study uh, something that is called in Slovenia, the study program Ethnology and Cultural Anthropology. And I studied uh, at the, the BA level for quite long time, actually, for 10 years or so, going in and out and deciding whether to finish the studies at all. And I was so long uh, already there at the department that at the end, somehow I got employed there <laughs> in a project which was interestingly uh, not at all connected to anthropology. So it was a European project, one of the large sixth framework project program projects. It was about biodiversity in European Union and how to motivate people to um, observe nature, animals, plants for free in their spare time, not as professionals. Mm -hmm. And I got involved in this kind of project as an anthropologist. There were just a couple of anthropologists in the team, and most of them were biologists, uh, natural scientists, geographers, and so on. But our little part of the team, which was based on social sciences, had a very interesting uh, job. So we decided to observe the bird watchers. So in a way we were doing uh, observation of observers yeah. in different uh, countries uh, in Europe, the UK, Slovenia, Poland, I think the fourth country was uh, Lithuania. And we compared um, the ways that people observe birds in different countries and, and why do they do it? And why do they do it voluntarily? This was the main question of the project. Then the results were actually... Uh, very interesting and the most important was that uh, I was able to collaborate with natural scientists because it has uh, showed already at that time that it's something quite specific if you work only in anthropological world with other anthropologists or if you have to uh, communicate and work with other scientists because they had certain requirements that uh, I still uh, have to face today if when I work with engineers, for example, it's very uh, difficult to explain to them that our so-called 
samples of people that we are studying are really mm. small. When we presented them, our group of people that uh, we worked with, so like, I don't know, thir- that we will do 30 interviews, they said, I mean, 30, this is not normal. So you should do a more broad survey all over Europe and to get thousands of feedbacks, 30 is nothing. 30 is irrelevant, it's statistically insignificant. Mm. And I'm still now uh, witnessing similar similar questions and face similar problems because we have a different approach. In a way, we live in different worlds. Mm. So the one is world of figures and ours is the world of words. Ours is also the world of small samples. Mm. And where did your interest in the applied sector come from? I think it has it started in around 2010, maybe nine, mm-hmm. when I... I met a colleague, Alenka, and we started a company together. It was uh, supposed to be a consultancy for anthropology, so for doing business projects, actually, and to advise uh, other companies how to, I don't know, make better people-centered products, services, solutions. So this was the basic idea of the company. It's called Ergo Institute, the company, and it still works, but we had to shift the um, whole concept of the company. Why? Because we realized, well, everybody said, uh, when we presented what we do, everybody said, yes, this sounds great, awesome, excellent. But we're already doing it. I mean, we know our customers, uh, we know the people, so we don't need anthropologists. <laughs> Plus, it was quite a bad time after the economic crisis in Europe and elsewhere. I think when somebody wanted to research clients' needs by qualitative approaches, this was the first thing that was cut mm-hmm. out. And so we didn't make it. So we had to switch to something very interesting uh, it's telematics uh, conference Southeast Europe. So we started to make uh, an event first in Southeast Europe, in uh, Ljubljana, Belgrade, Bucharest, Sofia and uh, other uh, cities and then also in Dubai later. And the conference was connected to something which, which is really opposite to anthropology. It's uh, development of telematics solutions for commercial vehicles. Telematics is a branch of telecommunications industry, Mm -hmm. which, if I say it very simply, locates where a certain vehicle is Mm -hmm. and helps it find its way from point A to point B. In this time, when I had to step out of anthropology, I found a whole new area which was very interesting, in my opinion, for anthropological research. It was the study about driving habits. Mm -hmm. And this is when I brought this idea to anthropology and proposed a project called uh, Drive Green to the Slovenian research agency. Are you still working in that space, like doing projects of applied anthropology for business clients? Yeah, absolutely. So we have just finished this um, Drive Green project now, I mean, uh, last year. In 2017, it was a three-year project, and results were really well accepted. So the main result was an app called One Two Three. This solution was, as I said, uh, is tailored to different mm-hmm. cities. So it's not one size fits all. But we prepared the first version for Ljubljana, for example, and it focuses on the main conditions, also infrastructure that Ljubljana has. I mean, we cannot uh, persuade, for example, people in Belgrade to cycle more in the same way that we can do in Copenhagen or or Amsterdam, because, I mean, the city is completely different and they don't have any cycling uh, infrastructure in Belgrade. They have just a couple of cycling lanes and we have to find another solution for Belgrade. And so this is why we we have to do in my opinion, study, ethnographic studies in before we make any of these kind of solutions which will be used more internationally or yeah. even globally. Yeah. So after that project, Drive Green, I got involved in several other uh, projects, some of them big ones like Mobistyle project, which is Horizon, EU Horizon 2020 project. Mm. And it's about... Uh, it focuses on uh, solutions for 
promoting health and well-being in smart buildings. How would you define um, a smart building? It's an interesting question. The engineers think a smart building is the one uh, which has thousands of sensors in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think a smart building is the one that actually helps uh, people live better, but it doesn't take uh, his or her uh, agency. Mm. Yeah. So the problem is that buildings uh, have become somehow too smart and we don't have any possibility anymore to, um, I don't know, even switch on the light sometimes. Yeah. So we're doing yeah. now uh, a part of this Mobi-style project is also... Uh, a faculty building of the University of Ljubljana, which is one of the smartest buildings uh, in Slovenia, probably, and university invested millions of euros in it. Mm-hmm. It's equipped with all these sensors and it collects thousands of signals yeah. um, minute by minute uh, about the situation in the building. And people st- are still not satisfied because, for example, they cannot switch on the light in some lecture rooms when they, or switch off the light, because the building sees, yes, there are people in the room, <laughs> so the light has to be on at that time, and yeah. the ideal uh, condition for these people is, uh, so thermal condition is 22 degrees, and they somehow will have, would have a better life. But actually, yeah. what happens is that um, people are in a lecture room, and it's... Uh, in summer, let's say it's very hot in there and they cannot do anything. They cannot switch, they cannot even open the windows yeah. properly or, or they cannot switch off the climate device because the building knows better yeah. than people do. And this is what we want to do in the project. So to give back a possibility to the people to change their own environment and yeah. to, to know what is good for them. In addition to that, I think it's very important also to um, keep people in the feedback loop. Mm-hmm. So if we leave the development only to engineers and other experts, they often just leave out the people mm-hmm. out of the feedback loop. So somehow it's a feedback loop of technologies which operates itself yeah. but why, why what is then the purpose of yes, the building yes. if if you just erase people humans from the formula and this is why we should make a shift yeah. by including anthropologists yeah. in the development teams we should make a shift from this expert mindset to the people-centered mind mm-hmm. mindset or human-centered mindset and start developing these kind of solutions which are intended to be used by people by asking people, I mean, what do you yeah. actually want? And by living with them, with observing their needs, their requirements. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if we, leave, if we leave design of buildings only to uh, engineers, to architects and to designers, then we get beautiful buildings, aesthetically beautiful, but they're useless, mean, meaningless for the peop- people living in them. Yeah. You were mentioning earlier some of the barriers to um, to implement this type of approach, like, for example, sample size or um, observe, or observing something in context. Through the lens of these um, projects that you've told about, have you seen some of those perceptions shift? I think we're doing the shift now uh, by a project called titled People. Mm-hmm. The project focuses on uh, people-centered development approaches in real life and uh, educational environments. So, uh, and in this project, the goal of the project is actually to employ or at least engage uh, social scientists, anthropologists, psychologists, sociologists, even philosophers Mm -hmm. in development teams of uh, companies, of industry, during their studies, so uh, they um, have an, the students who are cooperating now in four countries: Slovenia, the Netherlands, the UK, and the Czech Republic. Have an opportunity to work for some time for actually for the whole study year in a company, and 
there they uh, face the actual challenges that the industry has. Like, I don't know, how to improve the user interface of a certain IT solution that uh, controls a smart building. Mm -hmm. So this is our case here in Slovenia. The advantage for the students is that they uh, face with the real-life situations mm -hmm. and requirements of the industry. And on the other hand, the industry sees the value yeah. of uh, anthropologists, let's say, uh, in development. And we're, I think that through this project, we are making at least a move or the first small yeah. step uh, yeah. for our collaboration in Europe, which is, I mean, unfortunately in Europe, I mean, I'm speaking now of the whole Europe, this kind of applied anthropology is really underdeveloped. If we compare it to, let's say, uh, the situation in the USA, mm -hmm. There, they had already in 1990s over 2,000 anthropologists working in business or industry. We did a survey here in Europe mm -hmm. and we realized there are, let's yeah. say, approximately 300 anthropologists uh, in this sense that they work for industry or business in whole Europe. Yeah. And I think one third of them are in Denmark, mm -hmm. actually. Why do you think is that difference? Why is it in the in Europe, this sector, um, more underrepresented than in the US? So the problem is actually on both sides, on the side of anthropologists and on the side of the industry. The industry does not recognize the real value of anthropology. If we go, let's say, for a job interview or... Mm, and present ourselves as anthropologists and they say, uh-huh, okay, you are, uh-huh, so you're researching some tribes on some, uh, in uh, South America, okay, okay, in jungle probably. They don't see any value of anthropology in current time, in the current location, that you could also do anthropology at home and that you can research, I don't know, smart buildings or mm -hmm. sustainable mobility. So yeah. The industry has a very stereotypical image of what anthropology is and what can anthropologists do. Mm. On the other hand, we have a problem with ourselves. So in Europe, we are much more burdened with this colonial past and we still have the colonial hangover. Even in Slovenia, <laughs> which, was, which never had any colonies, if something we were colonized in the past, but we, we have the colonial hangover and we think that anthropology shouldn't be used for any applied purposes so we think that the point of anthropology is just to somehow study and present a situation in the world and criticize the situation in the world and not to improve or change situation yeah. in the world um, I wonder, how do you see the academic space in Europe versus maybe other parts of the world? Is it also maybe more equipped to retain students once they graduate? Or do you see kind of like the same precarity with, um, with jobs um, that happens elsewhere? It depends on the country because, I mean, when we speak about Europe, we don't speak about one entity. Yes, yes. There are several mm -hmm. places. And in our part of Europe, so let's say, southeastern or central Europe, the situation is quite different than it is in the west or northwest of Europe. But in general, I think the at universities, um, but I'm speaking now really in general, yeah. at universities, anthropology is taught in very academic way. Mm -hmm. So uh, young graduates are not equipped enough yeah. with skills and knowledge that can be used outside academia. Through this people project, we want also to establish uh, new teaching methods and a new teaching program that will be based on the use of anthropology outside academia. Mm -hmm. But we have to give them appropriate tools and we also have to adapt our own uh, method, yeah. ethnography. It hasn't significantly changed since, what, Malinowski time? Mm -hmm. uh, last 100 years, we haven't significantly changed ethnography. And I think it's really now yeah. high time to do it. I mean, we have to keep, of course, ethnography as it is, but we have to supplement it with big data analysis because mm -hmm. by big data analysis, we get all these uh, answers to the questions such as uh, what, where, when, 
Yeah. How? Mm-hmm. But we don't get the crucial answer. Yeah. Why? When you Why do people yeah. do something? And you have to ask them. You have to sit with them. You have to chat mm-hmm. with them. You have to live with them to understand why. Yeah. And this is the thick data mm-hmm. that we, and this is our huge advantage. Yeah. And we're not using it enough. And when you're saying we, um, what is the community that you are particularly re- referring to? This is the community we are actually building in the EASA Applied Anthropology Network. So it's Applied Anthropology Network of the European Association of Social Anthropologists. And we established the network in 2011. Mm -hmm. And it has grown quite uh, since that time. Now we have, I mean, we communicate a lot via social media and we have over 11,000 followers on Facebook and uh, in other social media. So there is apparently need for this kind of anthropology that we're doing. And um, this is why also when I speak about we, because we wanted to make the community bigger and to show the real value of anthropology in the current world, we started to organize the event Why the World Needs Anthropologists in 2013. And at that time we thought, oh, this will be just (laughs) <laughs> one-time event mm. so we organized it in Amsterdam in collaboration with the Freie Universiteit Amsterdam mm-hmm. and then hundreds of people came to the event I think there were almost 200 of people present mm. at that time Where did they come from um, what type of um, background did they have they were not all anthropologists and this is also the point of the event. We want to have as many non-anthropologists in the room as possible. There were also designers, managers, uh, engineers, uh, natural scientists, so all the people that we wanted in the room. Why? Because otherwise our meetings are just like, I don't know, Amway meetings. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is why we invited in the first year already speakers that uh, could represent, well, anthropology outside academia. So the event is not a typical academic conference, so it's more like a TED Talk style event. Mm -hmm. The speakers go on stage, they shouldn't read anything because they don't present any papers in this paper sense that you have a piece of paper in your hand and that you read what you uh, wrote the day before, Mm -hmm. but they have to say honestly, genuinely, what is their benefit for the world? What is their contribution to the world? So in the first year, the title was New Fields for Applied Anthropology. So have you seen so, the, the crowd um, kind of change from year to year? Because uh, it's been quite a while that you've been doing it now, right? It definitely has changed. We are attracting more and more people outside academia, which is the most important for us and uh, more and more non-anthropologists. So we, ha- we also have to pick the themes which are relevant for non-anthropologists. We cannot do titles like, I don't know, hermeneutics of post-structuralism because nobody outside uh, social scientists, sciences would come and visit such an event. Therefore, we try to bridge the gap by choosing the titles such as Burning Issues of Our Hot Planet, which was in 2015 in Ljubljana. We tried to address uh, these big issues such as the uh, global climate change. Or in 2016, uh, the title of the event was Humanize IT, and we spoke about the need to humanize technologies. This year, the event will take place in Lisbon, And the title is Designing the Future. We focus on design anthropology and we try to explain how can anthropologists contribute to designing new solutions that will be used in the future, technological solutions Mm -hmm. to build new cities of the future, to build new, uh, I don't know, whatever, clothes. Yeah. but the, we, we want to explain that you need anthropologists if you want to design new product that you we will use in the future. And it will also change uh, the planet also in, from the sustainable and perspective. It, and, of and in terms of speakers, you have also a mixed um, speakers, like people from academia, outside of academia, or how do you 
how do you approach this kind of blended um, audience? Every time we have an opening speaker for the last uh, three or four years, we have an opening speaker who is a non-anthropologist. So in Ljubljana 2015, we had a climatologist, Luchka Kajfesh Bogatai, mm-hmm. who uh, presented uh, problems from her side, from her perspective, and said, and yes, for solving this kind of problems, we need anthropology. So in the intergovernmental panel on gl- climate change, where she uh, is involved into, we need anthropologists. And so in the next year, we had uh, Stan uh, Tamkivi, who was uh, one of the founders of Skype, and it's uh, one of its first CEOs. And he, so the, the tool that we are actually using right now and he also said, yes, we need anthropologists to improve our solution because it's used globally in different cultural um, environments and we cannot make one size fits all solutions. So yeah. we have to adapt it uh, to different locations. Mm-hmm. And similarly, last year at the event in Durham, which was focused on energy, we had uh, one of the managers in Donk Energy, so now it's actually the company is called now Ørsted, and the company deals with um, design of new energy solutions like these wind plants. And so he also said, yes, if we want to sell more green energy, we have to tailor the solution to the people. So again, mm-hmm. it's a huge opportunity for uh anthropologists. And this year's uh, opening speaker is Jose Manuel dos Santos, who is uh, who works in Philips Lighting. So he's one of the managers in Philips Lighting. I hope I, and I suppose he will also explain that uh, Philips and companies like that mm-hmm. need an anthropologist. Yeah. Because uh, they're making solutions which are used by millions of people all around the world. But even if you make light bulbs or smart light bulbs, Mm -hmm. they don't have to be all the same, right? You have to adapt them to different needs of people. And uh, then we have like every year three or this year even four speakers who are um, from anthropological field. And we have a mix usually of, we don't invite only anthropologists working outside academia, we invite uh, also um, anthropologists who are more based in academia, like this year, Sarah Pink, who is Mm -hmm. one of the most famous, probably, uh, design anthropologists in the world, but she is more based in uh, academia than uh, other speakers. However, we... we, uh, will present her and her approaches to a broader audience, also to the industry. And she's also not just an academic anthropologist because she collaborates in projects which are, for example, about autonomous vehicles, which are connected to Volvo. So she has also a very interesting hands-on experience on what what anthropologists can do for the car industry. And I think what's important, I think, not to lose sight of in this applied sector is the rigorosity and and that kind of depth of approach that makes you an anthropologist in the first place. You know, and I think it's so, uh, speaking also from my own experience navigating this space, it's such a tricky line to walk, you know, still still uh, applying all of those array of methods and and rigorous lens into human um, culture and at the same time being able to adjust to the applied world and working maybe a bit faster, uh, taking initiative, no, making interventions, you know. So I think for me personally, these two people are kind of an inspiration because they kind of managed to walk that path, you know, um, really well. Yes, uh, and what you say is really important. So uh, this is a challenge for anthropology in the 21st century. Um, We have to urgently adapt our approaches. We have to tailor them to needs of not only of the industry, but also of the governmental sector, of NGOs. And we cannot do everywhere these ethnographic studies, which are 18 months long, because it's very difficult to get um, this kind of funding, um, especially in the private sector. 
if you go to a company and say, now mm. I will do the research, um, I will do the ethnography in a classical way, and it will last 18 months, <laughs> and then I will uh, give you some kind of monograph, uh, publication mm. and then you will be able to adapt it to your own needs it does it does not work like that unfortunately mm. i mean we have to adapt our approaches and also to accept a bit of this uh, industry uh, lingo let's yeah. say we have to do the executive summary and we have to present our finding in uh, bullet points <laughs> and or if we work with engineers we have to prepare not the full algorithms but some kind of recommendations for developing the algorithms which will be later used by uh, computers because otherwise i mean if we just submit our description of uh, a reality somewhere in the world let's say in a smart building or in um, in a community on the trobriand islands it will be interesting for them, yeah. but they will not any applied yeah. value. So we have to find new ways how to translate uh, our knowledge into uh, meaningful data for yeah. uh, the developers. Um, and where would be resources that you would advise a scientist that is interested in interesting um, in approaching this field to kind of go to to learn about it? Because you were also mentioning earlier that the the current environment in, in academia is not really fully preparing them um, to transition into business. Do you know of any other resources that somebody that's a social scientist and is interested in approaching the business field might, um, might look to? There are more and more books now on the market mm. that uh, deal with this topic, and not all of them are even um, anthropology-based. For example... Sam Ladner's work is yeah. very useful, actually, also mm. uh, in anthropology and, and in academia. And these kind of books should be, in my opinion, textbooks uh, in, a, in academic settings, in study programs, because they're really useful. And, but however, don't misunderstand me. I s believe, really believe, that there is a value uh, for this classical anthropology mm. in the 21st century. We just have to, I mean, we have to study the way we did in the past and we have to um, motivate students to read the classical anthropological works. Like, they have to read Malinowski, they have to read Boas, they have to read uh, the classics to see not only what is the history uh, of anthropology, but because these, uh, these kind of approaches are totally valid, still valid, mm -hmm. we just have to supplement them, adapt yes. them with other mm -hmm. more uh, uh, approaches which are, now, which are based on the world we live in, yeah. on technologies, let's say. And this is why we're making, um, at the end of uh, May, an event here in Ljubljana. It will, it's titled Ethnography 2.0. Um, new, approach, new approaches for understanding the way of life and we want to present this kind of approaches what is new what is uh, what what kind of approaches can we use how can we use i don't know uh, digital anthropology and anthropology of the digital how can we um, teach anthropologists to uh, use some programs to for understanding uh, the big data. How can we use the visual anthropology and so on? And how, especially, how should we adapt our approaches for collaborations in interdisciplinary uh, research and development projects? Because this is our future. Yeah. There, is, there, there will be less and less place for pure anthropology, for individual work, and more and more place for anthropologists working in interdisciplinary settings. But we will have to collaborate with yeah. engineers, natural scientists, um, uh, philosophers, and all other people yeah. that will be in the same project. And for making our method and um, theories valid, we have to adapt them a bit. And also we have to be able to explain what do we actually do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Prepare uh, an elevator pitch for <laughs> something like that. Do you have any other advice for what a social scientist could do to kind of start experimenting with this new world? Don't be afraid to 
step out for a while, out of anthropology, like you did and like I did, and do other, completely other things. And But don't forget, at the same time, to use anthropological knowledge, skills, uh, because this will open whole new fields for anthropology and for you. Yeah. So um, even if you work, I don't know, in the telematics industry as a project manager, you can still use the mm -hmm. the things that you learned at the university and that you used before as an anthropologist. And then you can come back. And this is my yeah. point. So you can always make a step back. So if you're out, you're not out forever necessarily. Mm. So in my case, I was out and I was in and you're, it's great to be an amphibian because you can survive in two different environments. Yeah. Then another thing is uh, try to keep your label anthropologist because we anthropologists somehow erase our label whenever we step out of um, our main area let's say, of academic um, environment. And then we become project managers, journalists, mm -hmm. puppeteers, or anything else. I mean, psychologists, for example, they don't have a problem like that. They just keep their label psychologists if they work in a primary school, secondary school, mm -hmm. uh, at the university, yeah. in the industry, in the army, mm -hmm. wherever they work, yeah. they are psychologists or economists are economists. Yeah. However, we become project managers or mm -hmm. anything else and we just lose the identity. And I think this is wrong. We should be proud of our identity and keep it mm -hmm. wherever we go because we're helping uh, build our own reputation and the reputation of our community. Yeah. Okay, you asked about advice and this will so sound like a commercial or advertisement, but Please visit Why the World Needs Anthropologists because first you will meet uh, your kind of people there. So people first, those who have experiences and those who don't mm -hmm. in applied anthropology field but who would want to do something applied. Second, because the event is for free and we try to keep it that way. So no charge for any participant. And um, because you, we also organize every year a kind of fair. So... Um, this year it's called Design Hotspot and you have their institutions which present um, what they do and they could even perhaps hire the right person I don't know a certain company or a certain university might realize that you are the right person for them I mean Go to the events. I mean, not only why the world needs anthropologists, but go to the epic. Go to also to the, go to the traditional anthropological conferences because you you will meet the right kind of people there. Expose yourself. I mean, not only on social media, but in face-to-face -face, uh, reality in offline world. I think this is still very important. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, these uh, granovators, the strength of weak ties uh, mm -hmm. approach it's still very important and valid if you want to get a job and so getting a job I think is number one issue in anthropology um, also uh, in Slovenia and uh, all over Europe anthropologists are still on the top of uh, unemployment uh, scale um, and we have to change that yeah. I mean there Anthropology is really important if we want to make a better world. Yeah, and I think spaces like, like these events are so important to kind of showcase all this work that is out there and being done. Because, um, I mean, I, I was personally, when I started this project, I was not aware of so many amazing anthropologists working in, um, in business or doing research with business. And it's, it's a very big field but it's quite quiet <laughs> you know um, maybe also because people just sit and do their work and they don't necessarily do much communication marketing in the business sense that is you know the yeah. the, the, the common business sense so um, yeah so uh, these type of events are so important to kind of um, show the work that is being done and how relevant it is um, in both worlds no um, I was the the registration will open on the first of June two thousand and eighteen, right? Yes. 
Okay, that's great. We're going to, for our listeners, we're going to put all the links in the episode, so um, notes, so that you can just go directly to and read more of, you know, all of these wonderful projects that you're doing in this space, Dan. Thank you very much. And um, I just wanted to say um, promotion of or advertising of anthropology. Anthropologists are really good, in my opinion, the mo many anthropologists are really good in collecting findings and translating them into interesting stories, ethnographic uh, descriptions of events. However, what is our big minus is we have an issue with presenting our stories to the broader audience. In my opinion, anthropology deals with the most interesting subjects, um, topics um, like, I don't know, religion, sex, um, also the future of technologies. But we have a huge problem with presenting this in a clear, interesting, attractive way. We should make more, much more bestsellers. I mean, since Margaret Mead, there was virtually, there has been virtually no bestseller in anthropology. Maybe Greber's uh, books are now, um, could be uh, mentioned as bestsellers. However, we should make more um, books like this available to the public, available to the broader mm -hmm. audience, because it will have also an impact on anthropology as an academic field. Mm -hmm. Like Stephen Hawking had a huge uh, influence in um, physics, also as a researcher, of course, but also because yeah. uh, his book, The Brief History of Time, mm -hmm. which was a bestseller. And by this book, I think he made a lot also for um, physics. And we need um, works like that. And we need, this is why we're doing Why the World Needs Anthropologies, because we want to show to the world the value of anthropology. And this is why we are also uh, live streaming the event so that we don't stay in this closed community. We just want to show and share with the world what mm -hmm. we have. So we should keep this precious knowledge for ourselves. We should just share it. I mean, the more we give away, the more we will get back. Yeah, I agree. And I think the more thoughtful reflections are provoked um, with all of these topics nowadays, no? Because um, it's so easy to um, end up um, essentializing or say, uh, giving binary opinions. And I think one of the advantages of... I, I never leave a conversation with an anthropologist without thinking about something, you know? <laughs> like just stopping and, and thinking. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's one, of the, one of the many valuable things that an anthropologist can bring to a strategy table or to a design table or anywhere, right? That, that yeah. capacity to pause the conversation and to get people to ask themselves more deeper questions and have more meaningful conversations about topics, you know? Um, yes. Uh, what is important is that people, when you leave their conversation, yeah. they don't just think, but, they, but do. they do. Yeah. They do. Perhaps they do something else that they planned before, but yeah. they do. They we do. Have to make, uh, we have to make a move from words to action. Yes, yes. Uh, um, and we should not, I mean, we are, and we anthropologists are excellent at uh, critique, at criticizing um certain events, happenings, um, situations in the world. But we have to find a way how to present solutions to the problems. So I know that you, sometimes it's too difficult to prepare this um, executive summary in 10 bullet mm. points because the solutions are complex. This is usually our answer. So, no, 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 the situation is too complex to be explained in such an algorithmic way. But we have to at least try. I mean, if we don't try to simplify the complexity, what is then the purpose yeah. of anthropology? Mm. And I think that multidisciplinarity that you were talking to um, earlier can really help with that. Because when you put different people at, at a table, they can work together to kind of transform a piece of of understanding or information into something actionable. Absolutely. Mm. And also we have to find 
a way how to present our findings on the stage. I think this is really important and I've learned that from natural scientists, yeah. from biologists, who always present things in a understanding, yeah. appealing, attractive way. So they have beautiful uh, images. Okay, they have this uh, field where you can always put some plants or butterflies or insects on and it's all already interesting yeah. and beautiful. But we also have different, uh, all these different beautiful things to show. And we just put um, hundreds of words on PowerPoint slides and read them then from a piece of paper. I mean, this is not the way to do yeah. it. We should adapt our way and also to, by reducing the complexity and showing interesting yeah, yeah. examples of anthropological fieldwork. Say I'm a you know, business person. Um, Curious about anthropology, but I don't have an anthropologist yet in my design team or in my strategy team. Um, uh -huh. And I'm, I'm interested, I've been to one of your conferences, um, and I find anthropology interesting. How would you advise me to approach that? Yeah, first, okay, it's very simple. Find the right person, the one who does anthropology. And it does not necessarily have to be a person that is um, directly connected to anthropology, uh, to uh, design anthropology. I think it's more important that you find a reliable person and somebody who is open to new ideas, solutions, approaches, and the person that can, what we uh, talked about before, translate between the uh, findings relevant for anthropology and findings relevant for the design industry. Yeah. And because you have all these examples of people who are now uh, in the industry uh, or who were in the industry like Genevieve Bell or Melissa Tsevkin or uh, several other anthropologists um, who had a completely different background and did completely different uh, studies for their PhD, for example. So if somebody comes who wants to be a design anthropologist and has a PhD in, let's say, uh, observing the bird watchers, you don't have to say no um, immediately. Because, I mean, the person knows what is anthropology and can use anthropology apparently in interdisciplinary settings. So try it out and find out if that person is relevant for you. Don't give up. Uh, don't give up after, I don't know, three months if you don't get uh, these powerful results. Because the industry uh, or business in general has this uh, stereotypical image, not only about anthropologists, that they do research of um, habits of people in distant islands and uh, in uh, South American jungle, they also have this stereotype that if you hire an anthropologist, this is a sharp-eyed social scientist that can see everything and that will <laughs> give this um, perfect solution for our problems in a week because it's like a magic, you know? Yeah. Well, actually, and if you want uh, this magic to happen, it will take more than three months. And uh, another advice for those uh, who want to hire an anthropologist in, let's say, design industry, uh, don't, uh, don't worry if that person presents to you uh, a research sample that sounds really small. Like uh, if that person suggests we will do uh, interviews and participant observation with a group of 30 people. So 30 is a lot in anthropology mm. and uh, I remember when we started this Moby style horizon 2020 project I presented them this idea that we would do um, the research in different countries with six to seven people per country so in total a little bit more than uh, 30 people and they were like and I said so they asked me first what is the number and I said 30 30 million <laughs> no, no. 30 you mean 30,000 no 30 30 Three zero, and they were like, oh, "So how, I don't know. I mean, how did you convince is them? I mean, this, is it significant? But I convinced them by explaining the difference between the big data and the thick data. So I think this is a good pitch to have uh, in your pocket when you uh, um, speak about um, the value of anthropology. 
that you will get the answer to the question why. You will never get this uh, answer to this question only by technologies. You will get it by human-to-human interaction yeah. and therefore you need a social scientist ideally of course anthropologist yeah and I, and I like the when you were mentioning earlier the other event that you're doing that kind of tries to combine thick data with data mining and kind of you know it's not either or <laughs> they can work together pretty well I think absolutely they mm-hmm. should work yeah. together I mean otherwise you don't get the full picture yes. of the world if you just skip the question why yeah. I mean we can get all the answers, uh, for example, also by our smartphone app, uh, which we developed in the Drive Green project, uh, how people move, um, how much do they use public transport in comparison to walking in a certain city, let's say in Ljubljana, at what time of the day do they use um, a car and when do they prefer to cycle to the city center? But we don't get the answer. Why? Yeah. Why do they do it? I mean, why does a certain uh, man, uh, 57 year old, uh, walk every Thursday uh, to the city center and back, and only on Thursdays? I mean, you do, it's very difficult to get the answer only by the collecting the data about that person. And you get all the wrong answers if you just imagine why this person is doing that. I think you still, we still yeah. need somebody to ask, okay, what's the reason? <laughs> that is a great uh, point to end our little interview on, Dan. <laughs> I think we've, we've gone like really way above the time. But um, yeah, I think it's, it's kind of fascinating to hear all those projects that you are involved in in the world of applied anthropology. And um it's been very valuable for me, and I'm sure it has been as well for our listeners. Yeah, thank you so much for this uh, interview, and I hope we will. So we, uh, not just the Applied Anthropology Network community, but we as a broader mm-hmm. uh, anthropology and non-anthropology audience, that we will be able to make uh, new solutions for the better world. I mean, this should be our goal. Yes. And not only the world for the people, but for all the uh, creatures, for, for, for the world in general. Yes. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you so much for inviting me. Just before you go, just wanted to mention that the registration date for Why the World Needs Anthropologists, the sixth edition called Designing the Future, will open on the 1st of June 2018. That's just a few days from now. So if you're interested, it's a free event. Um, Just head over to the website www.appliedanthropology.com. We have all the links also in the podcast episode. We are one of the media partners for the event and you'll find us down there covering the, um, the conferences, hopefully meeting some other awesome people doing awesome stuff in the supply sector thank you for listening everyone follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speakers work join us next time for more interesting conversations